Welcome back to another episode of the Hitchcock Minute. Each week, Movies by Minute hosts examine the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock-directed thriller, North by Northwest. I am a mad north-northwest when the wind is southerly, I know a hawk from a hand sword. One minute of screen time per episode. Here is your capital speak host for Minute 11, from the Annihilation Minute podcast, Professor Robert E.G. Black. One bright spring morning, I woke to find I'd forgotten who I was, so I packed a bag and took a slow train to the coast. I found a tall, thin house with the number 52, and in the attic a room with bed, chair, desk. My room, I thought, so opened drawer after drawer. A school report revealed my Latin prose was good. Progress in physics, limited. No predictions of greatness, nor any brutal indictments for the boy who shared my name. A black-and-white Polaroid showed a couple from another age who might have been parents, while a faded color photo boasted Mediterranean features the camera clearly worshipped. Postcards from Italy to a very young man were signed illegibly, and a library card, a briar pipe, an Ingersoll watch, and a CND badge were little use. I gazed from the window at a strange, familiar landscape. Jeremy Page, Mistaken Identity Take a shot. Page 15 of the shooting script. Changes dated 9-22-58. Scene 31. We come into minute 11 mid-sentence. Man continued. A little more polished than the others. This is Van Damme, though we will not learn that name until later. Posing as Townsend. He is portrayed by James Mason. He stands in shadow his back to the lamp, and just last minute he closed the drapes. Thornhill, with bite. Oh, I'm so, so glad, glad you're pleased, Mr. Townsend. Townsend. Thornhill, as you have surely heard in earlier episodes, portrayed by Cary Grant. Mark Elliott argues in Cary Grant, a biography, quote, Although he would go on to star in six more Hollywood features, Cary Grant's 34-year film career crested with his dual performance as George Kaplan slash Roger O. Thornhill in Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest. Released in 1959, the film signaled the commercial and artistic peak not just of Grant's magnificent body of work, but of Hitchcock's as well. One of the celebrated director's cleverest and silliest movies, North by Northwest afforded the increasingly maudlin filmmaker the chance to muse upon his most primal obsession, his own mortality. In this instance, projected on screen by the adventure of his favorite leading man, Cary Grant, in what would become for both their wildest flight of cinematic fancy. End quote. Man reacts then smiles. But I'm, but I'm afraid, afraid just as obvious. obvious. Thornhill. What, what the, the devil, devil is all this about? about? Why was How I was brought here? As a new lamp is lit and Thornhill is easier to see, I should note for those not keeping up, Thornhill, of course, has been mistaken for a man, George Kaplan, who does not exist. Mistaken identity is a common enough theme in spy films. Hitchcock had even used it before. As Pauline Kael points out in Circles and Squares, Joys and Saris, quote, when you see Hitchcock's saboteur, there is no doubt that he drew heavily and clumsily from the 39 steps. And when you see North by Northwest, you can see that he is once again toying with the ingredients of the 39 steps, and apparently having a good time with them. End quote. And Tony Lee Morrill, in Alfred Hitchcock's movie-making masterclass, goes further. Quote, the wrongfully accused man was a subject Hitchcock returned to repeatedly throughout his career, in stories often featuring innocent men forced to dodge both the real villains and the police, until they can unmask the true criminal and prove their innocence. Think of Robert Donat being chased by police in the 39 Steps, 1935. 
Robert Cummings being framed in Saboteur, 1942. Henry Fonda arrested for crimes he didn't commit in The Wrong Man, 1956. Cary Grant being mistaken for a spy in North by Northwest, 1959. And John Finch being set up for murder by his best friend in Frenzy, 1972. Another reason behind Hitchcock's fondness for the wrongfully accused man story is a structural one. The audience must have sympathy for the man on the run. But they will wonder, why doesn't he go to the police? Well, the police are after him, so he can't go to them. Otherwise, there will be no chase story. The important thing is that he cannot and must not go to the police. Hitchcock stated that his greatest fear was of the police, and he often told the story of when he was five years old, his father sent him to the local police station, with a note to the chief of police who read the note and promptly put me into a cell and locked the door for five minutes and then let me out, saying, that's what we do to naughty little boys. The man on the run in these wrongfully accused films is the average man. He's not a professional, detective, or criminal, but the everyman. As Hitchcock said, that helps involve the audience much more easily than if he was unique. I have never been interested in making films about professional criminals or detectives. I much prefer to take average men because I think the audience can get involved more easily. So for Hitchcock, the theme of the innocent, wrongfully accused man taps into the audience's own fear that it could easily be them in the same position. End quote. Additionally, John Bilheimer argues in Hitchcock and the Censors that Hitchcock was forced to use wrongfully accused men, quote, because the production code would not allow criminals to escape punishment, end quote. Man, wearily, games, must we? We must. I am sure that the Wilder Ride folks said plenty about Alfred Hitchcock already as well, but I will not let that stop me from bringing you my own obsessive stylings. Greg Adair, Alfred Hitchcock, Filming Our Fears, quote, the making of North by Northwest took Hitchcock for the first and only time to the studios of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. As he had done with The Wrong Man, he exercised the non-exclusive clause in his contract with Paramount in order to make the picture. Interestingly, though, North by Northwest was not the film he had originally agreed to direct for MGM. That picture was supposed to have been an adaptation of Hammond Innes' novel, The Wreck of the Merry Deer, to which MGM owned film rights. As Hitchcock and screenwriter Ernest Lehman soon realized, however, the book had an intriguing opening, a ghost ship is found adrift in the middle of the English Channel, but an otherwise tedious plot. Neither man could figure out how to make it work on film, so they decided to do something altogether different. As Lehman put it, they set out to make the Hitchcock movie to end all Hitchcock movies. North by Northwest was a return to the territory of the 39 Steps. Like the British classic, it focuses on an ordinary man who is caught in a spy plot falsely accused of murder, and forced to run for his life. Along the way, he finds romance and endures hair-raising adventures. Although Hitchcock reportedly approached James Stewart about the part, he really knew from the beginning that it was better suited to Cary Grant, his other favorite leading man. Grant, now in his mid-fifties, was as suave and handsome as ever, so much so that no one thought anything of it when Hitchcock cast Jesse Royce Landis, an actress born in the same year as Grant, as the character's mother. After the seriousness of The Wrong Man and Vertigo, North by Northwest was a lighthearted change of pace, a return to the sort of Hitchcock film many moviegoers expected. Filled with witty dialogue and amusing situations, the story took the viewer on a wild and delightful ride from one picturesque locale to another, from New York to Chicago to the Black Hills of South Dakota. It contained what is probably the director's most famous action sequence, one in which Grant's character, an advertising executive completely out of his element, is terrorized in an open field by a small plane. Later, in a finale almost as exciting, the hero and heroine flee their pursuers by climbing down the giant stone faces of Mount Rushmore. As in Rear Window, the light touch that makes North by Northwest so entertaining disguises deeper concerns. The illusion versus reality and false identity themes that figure so strongly in Vertigo are here as well. 
Grant's character, Roger Thornhill, first becomes entangled in the spy plot when the spies mistake him for an American agent named George Kaplan. We soon learn that Kaplan does not even exist. He is a phantom decoy set up by U.S. intelligence to divert attention away from the real agent, Eve Kendall, Eva Marie Saint. The whole Kaplan charade underlines the superficiality of Thornhill's own personality. A glib ad man who tries at one point to wriggle out of his situation by declaring that he has a job, a secretary, a mother, two ex-wives, and several bartenders dependent on me. Thornhill is a man who shuns commitment and revels in his own cynicism. Over the course of his adventures as George Kaplan, however, he becomes a better man, falling in love with Eve, who is also not what she seems, and learning to trust her. Costing $4.3 million, North by Northwest was Hitchcock's most expensive film since The Paradigm Case, which had been a gigantic failure. This time, however, the lavish production paid off. The film earned $6 million following its July 1959 release. Having fulfilled his single movie deal with MGM, Hitchcock still owed Paramount one last picture. End quote. Regarding The Wreck of the Merry Deer, John William Law offered Hitchcock the icon years. Quote, the Wreck of the Merry Deer was another production that came forth as Hitchcock was in the throes of North by Northwest. It was based on a novel by Hammond Ennis that tells the story of the captain of a small rescue ship in the English Channel, who finds a freighter called the Merry Deer adrift at sea. The crew seem to have vanished, so as the finder, the captain, thinks he is in line for a large salvage fee. However, before he can take his salvage rights, he discovers the first officer still on board, and the officer sends him away. Thus begins a mystery about what happened aboard the Mary Deer as an investigation of the incident follows. The novel was optioned by MGM, and the plan was to have Alfred Hitchcock direct the film and Gary Cooper star. Hitchcock reportedly wanted to work with Cooper, and Hitch was initially interested in the idea. With the help of writer Ernest Lehman, Hitch tried for weeks to craft an interesting story out of the tale. While the film had elements of both drama and mystery, Hitchcock's trademark suspense was in short supply. Eventually, the director concluded a movie version of the book would be nothing more than a boring courtroom drama, so he abandoned the idea. The Wreck of the Merry Deer, however, would find its way to the big screen after all when MGM hired writer Eric Ambler to produce the screenplay and Michael Anderson to direct Gary Cooper and Charlton Heston in the feature. The film would hit theaters at the very end of 1959, just as Hitchcock was filming Psycho. But Hitchcock was right and the film would never achieve the success of North by Northwest. End quote. Tony Lee Morrill, Alfred Hitchcock's movie-making masterclass. Quote, Screenwriter Ernest Lehman was originally contracted to write a screenplay from the novel The Wreck of the Merry Deer, but couldn't find the inspiration to do so. Instead, he said to Hitch, I want to do the Hitchcock picture to end all Hitchcock pictures. It has to have glamour, wit, sophistication, and move all over the place with suspense. Hitch's response was, I always wanted to do a scene on Mount Rushmore, where the hero hides in Abraham Lincoln's nose. This scene got both Lehman and Hitchcock thinking in a northwesterly direction, but it took them almost a year to write North by Northwest because it was an original idea. Hitchcock liked the first 65 pages of Lehman's script and went to the execs at MGM, who had been expecting an adaptation of Mary Deer. Hitch was a master storyteller and adept at selling ideas to network execs, so he pitched the story premise in the first 20 minutes of North by Northwest, not knowing where the story was going to go. The execs were thrilled, they thought they were going to get two Hitchcock movies instead of one, then Hitchcock looked at his wristwatch and said, Well, gentlemen, I have a meeting to attend. I'll see you at the preview. But he did such a good pitch that the execs at MGM were spellbound and commissioned the film on the spot. Typical Hitch. End quote. Thornhill is rather cavalier about this whole situation, as if he is used to finding himself in strangers' houses for no obvious reason quite often. Thornhill. Not, Not that I mind a slight case of abduction now and then, but I have, I have tickets, tickets for the theater, theater this evening. To a show, show I was looking forward to. to. And, and I, I get, get all kind, all of, kind of unreasonable about, about things, things like that. that. Van Damme, Townsend, now sitting on the couch, seems interested more than confused. Man, 
With it's such, such expert play acting, acting you make this, this very room theater. theater. Stanley Cavell, in a piece simply titled North by Northwest, explicitly draws a connection between Van Damme's closing of the curtains last minute to the proscenium of a theater, but we will return to this later. Second 32, the sound of a door off-screen turns Van Damme's attention to the right. Cut to angle past lamp on Leonard entering the study. Leonard is portrayed by Martin Landau. Hitchcock himself helped obtain Leonard's suits for the film. Landau explains to Tim Burroughs, The Telegraph, 12th October 2012, quote, He had helped me choose the suits because he wanted my character, Leonard, to be better dressed than Cary Grant's. He took me to a tailor's called Quintino's in Beverly Hills, which also made Cary's suits, though Cary didn't know about this. I arrived in the middle of a take, so stood on the fringe of a crowd of hundreds of Chicagoans watching the shoot. I was tapped on the shoulder. It was an English fellow called Ray Austin. I guess you could call him Cary Grant's valet. He said, excuse me, Mr. Grant would like to know where you got that suit. I said, I beg your pardon? He repeated the question, adding, only two people in the world make a suit like that. One's in Beverly Hills, the other is in Hong Kong. Carrie had noticed the suit in the middle of hundreds of people. I suggested that he had better have this conversation with Mr. Hitchcock. He said, oh, are you in the film? End quote. This was Landau's first film. And while Hitchcock had first seen him in a play, as a character, quote, 180 degrees from Leonard, very macho, a bit of a dope, actually, Lando tells Burroughs, when I asked Hitchcock how he could cast me in this part, as they were so different, he said, Martin, you have a circus going on inside you. If you can play that in the theater, you can play this role. I chose to play Leonard as a gay character. It was quite a big risk in cinema at the time. My logic was simply that he wanted to get rid of Eva Marie Saint with such a vengeance, so it made sense for him to be in love with his boss, Van Damme played by James Mason. Every one of my friends thought I was crazy, but Hitchcock liked it. A good director makes a playground and allows you to play. End quote. As Leonard enters the study, his eyes are on Thornhill. Van Damme continued off screen. Ah, oh, oh, Leonard. Leonard. Have you met, you met our, our distinguished, distinguished guest? guest? Second 38, Angle on Thornhill by the desk. And I begin obsessing about the furniture and decorations in this room. The Chinese rose porcelain lamps, the drum table, the likely royal Dalton figures on the mantel. I say likely, and will possibly have no further information on the specific detail in this room, because this movie is from 1958, and the clarity of background objects is, well, mostly non-existent. A blurry painting on the wall is just a blurry painting. That strange canvas tube by the window with a metal handle on top and another handle on the side and stenciled but unreadable writing on it will remain unidentified, and it will bug me until the action leaves this room. I think it may be a fire extinguisher, actually, but I have been unable to confirm as much. Back to Leonard. Leonard, staring at Thornhill. He's, He's a well-tailored well one, isn't he? The script says Thornhill gives him a look of distaste. Instead, we angle on Van Damme. As he speaks, Leonard walks around behind him on the couch. Man, my, my secretary is a great admirer of your methods, methods Mr. Mr. Kaplan. Elusiveness, Elusiveness however, however misguided. misguided. Second 47, angle on Thornhill. Thornhill, interrupting. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. He moves closer, and camera moves with him. Leonard comes into frame, now standing by the fireplace. Thornhill continued. Did, Did you, you call, call me Kaplan? Kaplan? Van Damme comes into frame. And I really want to know what this bulbous sheep's head-looking sculpture is on the coffee table, or those oversized books leaning against the side of the fireplace. Man, I know I you're a man of many names, names, but I'm perfectly willing to accept your current choice. choice. Van Damme puts out his hand, and Leonard moves to hand him something from a pocket inside his jacket. A cigarette case. Leonard opens it and looks at Van Damme. We can call it lovingly, really, given what we know of Lando's motivations in portraying Leonard. Thornhill. Current, current choice. choice. My, My name, name is Thornhill. Thornhill. Leonard and Van Damme both seem amused. 
Thornhill continued. Roger, Roger Thornhill. It's never been, been anything, anything else. else. Van Dam takes a cigarette from the case, and time runs out for this minute. I have been your host for Minute 11, Professor Robert E.G. Black. If you would like to hear more from me, check out Annihilation Minute, in which I explore Alex Garland's science fiction film Annihilation, one minute at a time, with much the same obsessive detail as I have North by Northwest this minute. You can find the Hitchcock Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, or at the main site HitchcockMinute.com. Find us on Facebook at The Man on Washington's Nose, or on Twitter at Hitchcock Minute. Join us here next time on the Hitchcock Minute. Goodbye, Mr. Thornhill, wherever you are.